Thanks for joining us. Talkline Network Radio, America's longest-running Jewish broadcast network, the voice of the Jewish community. Welcome to the podcast. You are now tuned in to this episode of our podcast. Today we are going to interview some of the greatest and most influential minds in our field. And now, please welcome your host. You're listening to Talk Line with Zev Brenner, America's premier Jewish broadcast on the air since 1981. And we're back. It's always a pleasure to have Rabbi Daniel J. Glassing with us. He's the Robin founder of Mahon Maggid Harakia in Cedarhurst, New York. He's a contemporary writer, a speaker. He has over 5,000 recorded shiurim, and he has a fascinating series of books on different holidays, and including his one that came out last year called The Darkness and the Dawn, Benam Mitzarim, Tishabov, The Four Fast, The Holocaust Memorial, the anguish of the gullus and the glory of the Jewish attorney. Rabbi Glassin, welcome back. Good to have you back on the program. Good evening, Zach. How are you? Good, thank God. Thank you for joining us. So I I enjoyed your safer on Tishabov, and I found some very unique thoughts in there. So I'd like to start off with something which deals with the melody of Echa. We go Echa na 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 na. You said there is a correlation between the Echa melody and Simcha's Torah. I'd like yeah, you to reflect on that. Yeah, it's really a, a revolutionary discovery, I think. Now, the Eicha Nega, Eicha Haya Shavadad, Oyehir Abbasiyam Haisa, But the Simchas Torah Negan is almost identical. Kimitziyahoyim Teitzei Saira, Ba'avur David Avdecha, Ha'ashiveinu Hashem, Ba'ayivin Saira, Ma'yoyimer Moshe. But there's only one, uh, there's one difference. The difference is, It's what ends up on an upbeat note. It ends up on an upbeat note, a crescendo. So it goes to show that uh, the original Rebbe says that there's a parallel between Tisha B'Av and Simchas Torah. Namely, you have nine days of sorrow, of mourning, uh, in the nine days, Tisha B'Av. And you have nine days of joy, beginning with Sukkot, and the ninth day being uh, Simchas Torah. Except that's in Gala, but that's not in Eretz Yisrael, though. And that's not in Israel, only in Galus. In, in, in Galus, that's true. But, you know, it's interesting, Sam Sofer writes, you know, Mashiach comes, they'll have a extra day Yom Tif in Eretz Yisrael also. But that's for a different occasion. By the way, I saw, I saw brought down that there'll be nine days of Hanukkah when Mashiach comes in far-flung communities, too. So Minchus okay. writes that, yes. Okay, nice. So... Uh, they, these two sets of uh, time parallel each other. In fact, Tisha B'Av is the day of Yermiyah Hanavi. Yermiyah was born on Tisha B'Av. He cursed the day of his birth. Simchas Torah is the day of Shlomo HaMelech. We talk about on Shemini Atzeres, we, we read about how Shlomo blessed the people. Kabbalistically, Yermiyah was the Gilgal of Shlomo HaMelech. So that's also another parallel. Um, the reincarnation. What I, ha- I happened to see, reincarnation, I saw last night, very late last night, that Tishabov is the yard site of the Choyza of Lublin, one of the great Hasidic masters. And in the last year of his life, um, they couldn't find him on Simchas Torah. And they were looking for him. Where did the Rebbe go? And apparently he had fallen out the window, but not just fallen out the window, the entire window caved in. And upon further study, they discovered that he was involved in some kind of divine communion he was trying to like pressure the Almighty to bring the redemption, and he sort of pressed too hard. 
you know, he, he overstepped his, uh, his boundary and the dark side tried to take him away and he got injured, but he ended up passing away that year on Tishabav, which also is brought that that shows a correlation between Simchas Torah and Tishabav. This injury occurred on Simchas Torah and he, and he passed away on Tishabav. So we have this uh, two parallel times of the year. In fact, I mean, this is an amazing discovery. If you look in the Sefer Torah and Parshas Pinchas, that talks about all the Yamim Tavim, all the holidays. So it talks about Rosh Hashanah, it talks about Pesach, Shavuos, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Sukkot. Now, in between each holiday, there is what we call a Parsha Susuma, or a Samach in the Chumash. And in the Sefer Torah, what this means is the previous subject ends in the middle of the line, and the new subject begins on that very line. So in other words, all there is is a space. It could be as little as four letters of empty space, but the previous subject ends on the line and the new subject begins on that very line. So in between Pesach and Shavuos, it's what we call Parsha Susuma. It ends and begins on the same line. It's closed. It's closed between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. It's closed between Yom Kippur and Sukkot. It's closed. But in between Shavuos and Rosh Hashanah, it's open, which means Shavuos ends in the middle of the line, and Rosh Hashanah does not begin until the very next line. So what, why is it open? What is this gap between Shavuos and Rosh Hashanah? Are we, are we, are we trying to fill something in? So uh, the original Rebbe observes that, yes, indeed, there is a holiday that will be inserted between Shavuos and Rosh Hashanah, namely Tishavav. So there's this gap in the Sefer Torah. It's a waiting it's so, so what this means is that even though Eicha is read as a mournful dirge now, but like we see on Simchas Torah, it just takes a little bit of a happy ending to transform the whole tune. So I, I came across, I was actually a, a friend of mine from France, Rafal Ansel. He gave me a commentary on Eicha uh, from the Benish Chai, and he interprets how Eicha will be read when Mashiach comes, that it will be transformed into a happy uh, Megillah. I'll give you just uh, some quick examples. You know, literally we say, Eicha Yashva Vadad, alas, the city dwells in solitude. That sounds very mournful. But uh, Ben Eshchai interprets that, you know, it's actually talks, it's, go, it's speaking about the bounty of Jerusalem. Almost every city in the world, no matter how pros- prosperous it is, relies on imports for some, some type of resource. Yerushalayim will be so bountiful and full of blessing that it will be in solitude, meaning completely independent. That's that's how the Megillah will be read. Um, My favorite interpretation is in Pasuk Vav. You know, we say, Really, the way it's supposed to be, all Torah is supposed to emanate from Yerushalayim. Unfortunately, in the Golos, you have yeshivas all over the world, and not all Torah in the world comes from Yerushalayim. But the day will come. So we read in the sixth pasuk, in Literally, all the glory left Sion. It's empty of its glory, but it could be interpreted, When Mashiach comes, all the glory of Torah will now only emanate from Sion. It won't have to come from New York or New Jersey. So, <laughs> so it's putting a positive spin on what could be ne- what we now reading as negative. Right, right. So in other words, so we're going to change the tune of Eicha. I guess the tune will be, um, <laughs> you know? 
Uh, we can't wait for that. And of course, but on the very essence of Tisha B'Av, while it's the saddest day on the Jewish calendar, also has the, the seeds of the greatest joy, Mashiach was born, or is born, on Tisha B'Av. Yeah. The Medrash says Menachem is his name, right? That's uh, one of the names yeah. that they ascribed to him. Yeah, yeah. So where's Mashiach? If he's born already, where is he? Where is he hiding? You know, actually, I just came back from uh, Amsterdam. I was in Amsterdam. So there was, um, of course, you know, Amsterdam was a hotbed of uh, Sabadian activity in the times of the Shabtai Tzvi. And one thing that um, Rabbi Yaakov Sasportas was one of the main opponents of Shabtai Tzvi. He said, Mashiach has to be born in Israel. So, uh, so right. So. <laughs> so he disqualified uh, the Shabtai Tzvi on that account. Uh, yeah. I, I think they say, that according to the Medrash, is that there was an Arab... A uh, merchant who there was a Jew outside of Israel. Uh, he was out in the diaspora, and he was had two cows together, working together. And he said, "Where you're from?" He says, "I'm from Israel." He says, "You're stop. You know, you unhook the animals because the base midrash was destroyed." Then they're chatting, and he says, "Okay, you can hook him up again and work together because Mashiach right. was born." Right. So according to that medrash, the that uh, that this uh, what happened was he sold all his merchandise. He moved went to Israel. He went to Beis Lechem. We found the woman where she had the child that was Mashiach, and um, he he gave her food, stuff on credit. When he came back to her, she said, my son's unlucky because he was taken away. The wind blew him. And according to the Medrash, he was taken to Gan Eden, waiting to be brought back from Gan Eden. That's the Medrash, whatever mm-hmm. you want to describe that particular Medrash. But, but it is an interesting question. Mashiach was born on this day. Where is he? And according to at least this interpretation, he's waiting in the Garden of Eden for us. Right, right. We're speaking with Rabbi Daniel J. Gladstein. He is the Rav and founder of Mahom Magadar Rakia in Cedarhurst, New York. His book, he has quite a few books on Jewish holidays. This one we're looking at is called The Darkness and the Dawn, looking at Tisha B'Av. Hey, this is Alan Dershowitz. One of the most important Jewish institutions in the world today is TalkLine with Zeb Brana. He is so smart and he is so innovative and he has so many interesting guests i don't know what yiddishkeit i don't know what new york i don't know what the world would do without zev so zev yashikoch may you go from strength to strength and keep keep informing us and educating us and keep fighting for jewish values you're listening to talk line with zev brenner america's premier jewish broadcast on the air since 1981 and now here's your host We're speaking with Rabbi Daniel J. Gladstein. He is the Rav and founder of Mahom Magad Rakia in Cedarhurst, New York. His book, he has quite a few books on Jewish holidays. This one we're looking at is called The Darkness and the Dawn, looking at Tisha B'Av. You know, Rabbi Gladstein, there was a movement. Um, you know, in Israel they have a Yom HaShoah, a day of, of, of commemorating the Holocaust. But there was some thought, and I think Rav Soloveitchik was of the opinion that the day of Holocaust memorial should be moved to Tisha B'Av. All the tragedies are embedded in Tisha B'Av, and therefore it should be commemorated on Tisha B'Av itself. It didn't happen, but there was such a thought. I was curious to get your perspective. Yeah, well, um, you know, that that's an important uh, hashkafa. That was the opinion of the Briskorov, as well as Rav Moshe Feinstein, not to, uh, not to commemorate the Holocaust independently of Tisha B'Av. Um, because all Jewish tragedy could be traced back to uh, the destruction of the temple. 
In fact, uh, Rav Moshe at, um, addresses a very fascinating question. He says, well, why then, you know, if you look in the commentaries on the Shulchan Aruch, the 20th day of Sivan was reserved for commemorating the Chalmanitsky pogroms. So, so it was uh, brought to, it was asked to Rav Moshe, so we see that there are tragedies that are more independent of Tisha B'Av. So Rav Moshe said, you can't compare Chalmanitsky pogroms to Holocaust. He said a fascinating distinction. He said the Chalmanitsky pogroms, Rav Moshe says any, any uh, disaster or any persecution that is perpetrated by the reigning government is a result of Chorban Beis HaMikdash. Anytime there's persecution from the power, uh, the reigning power, that's a result of the destruction of the temple. But Chamanitsky pogroms were anti-establishment, anti-government pogroms. It was rebellion. So that's not a result of the Chorban. Chorban is only the Romans destroyed the temple. They, so to speak, usurped the Jewish supremacy. So any evil perpetrated by the Roman government or whatever the reigning government is, that could be traced back to Chorban. Ramosha says anything that's anti-government or rebellion, that's independent of Chorban. Interesting, because the Crusades are also commemorated on Tisha B'Av by some of the Kinos. So, right, that's interesting because the, the, the Crusades were in a way um, also anti-government. Well, no, I think um, they were, weren't they government-sponsored? So it's it's... It's somewhat of a question because, um, you know, when, when the Crusaders finished attacking the Jews, often they attacked the, the governors or the government. Um, you had these knights, I mean, this is a separate subject, you had these knights roaming Europe and they were just pillaging and, and violating. And uh, so the government sort of allowed them to take out the wrath on the Jews. but. Often, after they finished with the Jews, they they uh, they pillaged the governor's palaces and homes, and uh, so that's why they sent them off to Jerusalem. So, I mean, there's what to discuss regarding that, right? Because that pogroms are once they finished killing Jews, they end up stealing from other people too. It's once uh, you unleash these dark forces, they they just don't stop with the Jews, unfortunately. Yeah. But uh, but it's, it's fascinating because Tishba was a day we commemorate a lot. What about the Spanish Inquisition? There's no kinna for the Spanish Inquisition, which also, according to tradition, the Jews were expelled from Spain on Tishba, yeah, 1492. So, I mean, th- th- this is uh, a question that has been uh, stirring my heart for many years. You know, here it is. We know that uh, Fernand Isabella, they scheduled for August 2nd, 1492. Abarbanel says they didn't even realize it was Tisha B'Av. It happens on Tisha B'Av. We commemorate practically every other disaster, and this one is conspicuously absent. So in the past, and this is what I write in the book, um, you know, the Abarbanel ruled that when they were expelled from Spain, they were expelled amidst um, music. Even though it was Tisha B'Av, he allowed them to play music on Tisha B'Av. So one of the reasons he gave is because uh, he didn't want the Jews to fall into despair. But another reason is because a Jew never cries when they leave the Gullus because we never belonged in the Gullus in the first place. So the, I, I, I believe that one of the reasons we don't mourn the Spanish uh, uh, expulsion is because what are we crying about? That we left the golden Gullus of Spain? We didn't belong there. That's not our home. A Jew doesn't cry when they leave the Gullus. A Jew cries when they're murdered. A Jew cries when they're persecuted. 
but leaving Galus, we never belonged there in the first place. But a lot of Jews were killed during the Inquisition, which began on that day. So it was the beginning, not only Jews that left, but Jews who stayed ended so, up getting crucified yeah, so and actually, burnt at a stake. So this is also an important historical point, and that is the expulsion was scheduled for August 2nd. The expulsion was of those Jews who were practicing Judaism openly. Until that day, Jews who professed to be observant had no problem in Spain. The issue was as follows. In 1391, there were 200,000 forced conversions in Spain. Any Jew who allowed himself to be converted for the 100 years before 1492 was now a new Christian. A new Christian, that now there was a, they were under suspicion that maybe they were practicing Judaism in secret. So for those Jews, there was inquisition. The inquisition was they were inquiring as to whether they were observing Christianity in secret as well. But the Jews who openly observed Judaism had no problem in Spain. So the inquisition had been going on for decades in Spain. But what Turcomata was afraid of was Turcomata, the Grand Inquisitor, he tells Ferdinand, so long as Jews are openly practicing Judaism in Spain, they're going to be encouraging the new Christians, and maybe they're being uh, observing Judaism in secret. So the truth is, expulsion was, was scheduled for Tisha B'Av, but the Inquisition had been going on for decades. And, and this year I, I've come to realize that to commemorate the expulsion of 1492, is really missing the much greater tragedy of a hundred years of torture, of being burnt alive, of really barbaric treatment of the of the conversos, of the Muranos. I mean, that was the far greater tragedy than the fact that Jews who openly observed Judaism were thrown out in 1492. The real tragedy, Zev, is that hundreds of thousands of Jews converted. Now, we don't like to talk about that, and I think the reason why we don't talk about the Inquisition on Tisha B'Av is because it's downright embarrassing for us. This was the, really the only time in our history that large segments of the community defected from our religion. We never had it before. We've never had it since. There were individuals throughout history, but in Spain, hundreds of thousands of Jews left the fold. And I think, you know, like the Gemara says, that there's certain episodes in the Chumash we don't read the Targum of, because of the honor of the Jewish people, this, the era of Spanish Jewry is really a source of great embarrassment. And, you know, I'm just going to, you know, say it straight. It wasn't only regular, um, it, it, it affected the all strata of Jews from Rabbanim, Rosh Yeshiva, Mayalim. There were great people who left the fold as well. There was a rabbi, Rabbi Solomon Levy. There were other rabbanim, and it's it's an era in Jewish history that's um, probably the darkest, really the darkest days for Jewish people were, were the Spanish era. Um, and I found in the writings of the Ravid that this was worse than Chorben Beis This is a tragedy we don't mourn on Tisha B'av. It's worse than the tragedy of the Chorben to have such um, wholesale defection. Uh, we never had before, and we never had. Well, since. actually, we had something similar, according to the Medrash in Egypt. Yeah. Four fifths of Jews died during the Darkness Plague; only True. one fifth left. We're talking about millions of Jews that didn't want to become Jewish or stay Jewish or leave look, to get to Israel. Right. It, look, in Egypt, you had people. Maybe their faith was not complete. 
but to abandon the religion and to convert, that's, uh, you know, you're not going to read about this in the... Right. The question with the Muranos is it wasn't a full conversion, is that they still practice Judaism in secret. So it wasn't as if they just say, hey, I love Christianity, I'm becoming a Christian. It was under coercion, and they still maintain Jewish ties. That's why we had so many Moranos. You have so many, so much Jewish blood. You came back from Spain. Absolutely. A lot of people in Spain have Jewish blood, yeah, have Jewish heritage. To, according to secular historians, as much as 80% of Spaniards have uh, Jewish blood. But not all Jews were practicing Judaism in secret. Yes, surely many were, but um, the, the reality of what was happening was probably from the darkest uh, times in our history. No, certainly was. And the Moranos were a lot of them, but I'm sure a lot of people converted, Jews converted, and stayed converted over the course of time. Our guest is Rabbi, founder of the Mechom Magad Hurricane Sidhurst, Rabbi Daniel Glatstein. His book that we're exploring is The Darkness and the Dawn Relating to Tisha B'Av. You tell a story about Chief Rabbi of Palestine, Rabbi Herzog. Tell us, share that with our audience. Um. Are you referring to uh, when he when he visited Wait, the Pope? Rabbi, Rabbi Beryl Wine and was uh, was a oh, little you know, boy. That's one of the favorite stories. My grandfather actually met Rabbi Herzog in the DP camps. Rabbi Herzog had with him a list of uh, the names of ten thousand boys and girls who were given to Christian institutions, monasteries, and so forth during the war. And he had audience with Pope Pius, and he said, "Here, I have a list of all the boys and girls. I have the names. You know, give us back our children. Right now, you're kidnapping them." And the Pope slams the door on his face. He says, look, all these Jews have been baptized. Once a Jew is baptized, we can never return him. And, um, you know, uh, nothing. Thanks, but no thanks. So Rabbi Wine tells a story that Rabbi Herzog visited his community in Chicago in the, in, uh, after the war. And he's telling this story to the audience. And he turns to the young men and he says he breaks down crying. And after weeping copiously, he lifts up his head and he says, there's nothing I can do for these 10,000 boys and girls. But what are you going to do? What are you young men going to do for the future of the Jewish people? That was the challenge uh, that Rabbi Herzog uh, posed to the, those young men. And uh, Rabbi Wine says this is a challenge that always uh, reverberates in his ears. And really, this is what we have to think about on Tisha because, you know, while we're we have, we have three weeks, we have nine days, we have the week that Tisha B'Av comes out in, and here it is, Tisha B'Av itself, and after a few hours in the morning, we get off the floor, we get up already, like we're done, we're finished, we're, we're done with this. You know, we don't even give, give it a full day. What's this custom in the middle of the day? We just get up and uh, we're done. So I think the idea is that a Jew doesn't uh, allow himself the luxury to wallow in self-pity and just sit on the floor and say, woe to me. We got to pull ourselves off the floor, roll up our sleeves, and say, "What are we going to do for the future of the Jewish people?" So on Tisha B'av itself, we don't even give it the full day. We're already off the floor, and we're uh, pl- we're planning, we're plotting what we could do to to help rebuild ourselves. Well, Jews never supposed to give it to despair. Yeah. So even the saddest day of the year has elements of hope. In fact, I think I may have mentioned last time we spoke about Daniel Melman used to be with the Little Beach Synagogue. He's in the Five Towns now. He said the word shachar, darkness. If it's, you give a little kvetch, it turns into chor, into mourning, into light. 
So that's our goal is, is that even the darkest moments have elements of light and that we just got to pivot to, to the right direction and it will be enlightened by it. And I think it's a powerful, powerful thought for Tisha B'Av. Um, no matter how bleak things are, things will get better. Well, the, the, the question, though, is, though, um, it's unfortunate, and is that in Eretz Yisrael today, we're, we're finding such division, especially around Tisha B'Av time, unfortunately. Yeah, well, uh, yes, there's division, but, you know, on the other hand, there's also, um, there's also truth. And, um, you know, look, this is an issue that if it would be relevant, if it would be any other country in the world, it would be instinctive that why should, uh, why should a democracy um, be controlled by any other member of the, of the government? But when it comes to, when it comes to Israel, you know, every every country has a double standard with Israel, and that they they fuel the fire. Um, but you know, Hashem should send uh, peace to to our brothers and sisters in Eretz Yisrael and peace shalom la'artzeich v'shalom la'ireich. No, we need we need we need peace and we need unity. But that's probably the fact. Listen. The first base of Megdus, the first temple, was destroyed because we didn't follow the laws of the Torah. We didn't keep Shemitah. But God let us come back after 70 years. But the second temple, second base of Megdus, destroyed because of Sunnah's Chinnah, because of baseless hatred, was still in exile 2,000 years later. So that's the roots in, uh, of why we're still in Gullus, why we're still in exile. And the question is, how do we, and I asked you this question, I know it's hard to answer, but as a leader in the community, how do we foster more unity among our people, because that will bring the Mashiach. That's what turned away the base of Midas. Well, we'll bring it back is we're all together again. How do we do it? Yeah, look, you know, uh, we've been we've been trying to figure it out for two thousand years. But even look, even the 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 Gemara that talks about uh, the what we call Sinaschinam and Kamsa Bar Kamsa, there's a lot more there than just trivial and petty dispute. Um, if you look in Josephus. You will we'll discover that Bar Kamsa was like a uh, spy on behalf of the Tzedokim. and the the strife and the quarreling here. We're not. It's not talking about um, well, you know, people couldn't get along because one was a little bit more observant, a little bit less observant. One was more black, while the one was more white. This was a matter of hatred of the Tzedokim to the traditional Jews. So even though it's not popularized that way. The story of Kamsa Bar Kamsa is popularized as, well, why can't we all, all our Jews get along? But in fact, even if you look in Josephus, the, the sinas chinam here that we're talking about was the hatred of, uh, of the Sadokim, those who denied the authority of the oral law of the observant Jews. And in a certain sense, you know, history repeats itself. Um, I don't know if now is the time to get into this analysis of Kamsa Bar Kamsa. No, well, let's, but, uh, let's 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 close with that because I think it's fascinating <laughs> because it, it seemed, the opinion seems to be at least how I've learned it. It had the, the situation been different where he wouldn't have thrown him out, that would have averted a lot of tragedy. Yeah, but um, there, there's more to the story. Um, it seems like the issue was that uh, the Sadokim were not allowing traditional rabbinic Judaism. To uh, to continue, um, and in a certain sense, that's what we see today. Uh, you know, how do you foster unity? Well, 
we need we need a true Torah leadership, true Torah leadership. Where, if our nation is a nation, not through a geolo- um, geographical location, but through the Torah, like Rav Sadigon teaches that in Uma Sinu Uma Elava Torah, then uh, allegiance to Torah, true Judaism, is our most compelling unifying uh, force. Um, again, easier said than done, but. Uh, the unity that we need is not a ma- ma- is more than just you know um, overlooking people's uh, yarmulke color or clothing color. The unity that that's required is uh, unifying under the banner of uh, Hashem and the Torah. So uh, it's a matter of Jewish education. It's a matter of uh, of learning. It's a matter of teaching. It's a matter of understanding. Um, and those who are steeped in the values of Torah, then sort of it's natural, people won't get caught up in uh, what we call superficial trappings. Number of Cook, the first uh, chief rabbi of Israel, if I remember correctly, and some others that have said the question was, is how could the irreligious, maybe they were anti-religious, secular Jews, the Zionists who build the country. So I think one of them said, I think it talks about Yovel, the Jubilee year. First you return to your property, first you return to your property, then you return to the Mishpach, or you return to religion. So there's something to be said about bringing people in, being Makar of them, bringing them close, even though they were those that was, those secular Zionists of the early days, were anti-religious. But yet there's a thought about bringing them in. And look at the kibbutzim today. Those that were the most rabid leftist kibbutzim became more observant as time went on. So uh, things changed, and that's because of a positive attitude, a strong attitude. And even in Eretz Yisrael, when they had a recent demonstration, I believe in B'nai Brock, instead of throwing stones, they brought out shon to them, to the demonstrators. That created a whole different dimension as opposed to throwing stones, getting to a shouting match. So they're still our brothers and sisters, and whether they're religious or not, we have to reach out and show, set an example for them. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the The approach of um, a violent protest we know doesn't work, and uh, doesn't doesn't produce desired results. But uh, like we like we daven, we say that the Almighty, He. Uh, he should engender the peace among our people, and we await that great day. Amen, amen. What's your next book going to be? The next book is about uh, the Tana Rabbi Meir. Rabbi Meir's opinion is that uh, a Jew is always considered the, the child of Hashem, no matter what they do. So I have that safer in Lashem Kaidesh. Now I'm working on it in English for Art Scroll. Oh, so. very nice, which brings to the unity theme. Even the worst Jew is full of mitzvahs like like a pomegranate, right? Like a pomegranate, yeah. That's right. So we, That's we have right. to be always be, to be down the cops, of course. Rabbi Daniel Gladson, we appreciate you being with us. Looking, I'm looking forward to your next book, and I recommend From the Darkness and the Dawn, say for Magadurk here on, on Tisha B'Av and Related Days. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Have an easy fast. Please welcome the 110th mayor of the great city of New York, Mayor Eric Adams. One of my favorite radio shows. Always good speaking with you, Zev. Take care. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. Are you interested in hosting your own radio show and podcast or perhaps a TV program? Talkline Network can help you get on the air from one hour weekly to 24 hours a day. 
ideal for ethnic, foreign language, medical, business, and religious broadcasting. We also have full-time radio stations for lease, as well as FMHD channels. For more information, please call 212-769-1925. That's 212-769-1925. Or email zevbrenner at gmail.com. Thank you for tuning in to Talk Line with Zev Brenner, America's premier Jewish broadcast, the pulse beat of the Jewish community. For continuous Jewish programs, talklinenetwork.com or our 24-hour-a-day listen line at 641-741-0389. For past shows, you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, YouTube, Instagram, and all major podcast platforms or jewishpodcast.org. Thanks for listening to the talklinenetwork.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.